Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Join us today for an episode about life and the pursuit of life. We unpack how complicated it is to pursue life and all the fallacies and all the magic and what we need to do it. Well, Sushi, um, there's been so much going on. You and I have talked so many times this week, mm-hmm. and I've been reflecting so much about not just when you and I talk, but what we're bringing in is so much more than we ever used to mm-hmm. discuss because in society so much has been like in this twin stage of tearing down and building up simultaneously. Everything that we've worked so hard for in society, so hard as a society, it seems that it raises this question in me that I thought I would bring to our conversation today. And it's really about this concept of life. And it occurred to me that since I was very young, I would hear people talk about the pursuit of life. Mm-hmm. And it was like their goal. Yeah. You know, all their goals were shuffled under that umbrella in the pursuit of life. And when I think about it, it's been something so common that when people say it, they say it like it's meritorious. I'm just pursuing my life. Pursuing life with like material goals, you mean, or um, like what they want their life to be about? Or just personal goals. Mm -hmm. And I've been wondering, like, if this concept has been afloat and permeating every strand of society for so long, why are we where we are at as a society? Indeed, we have had people who are educated, high-minded, spiritual. There are some people who work together in groups. Mm-hmm. And committees, not a lot, but they exist. And why are we here? And then, therefore, it makes me reflect and ask you, Smishi, why are we pursuing life? What What's your association with that? Like, have you ever thought about pursuing life? Well, I guess growing up for me, it was sort of like I was given the trade secrets of, like, these are the people you don't trust. Mm. And these are the people you do trust, or you only trust yourself. Or, you know, then the goal was, the goals were always based around bringing honor to my family and also becoming prosperous and wealthy and being healthy. Mm. Does that mean like when you were growing up, that you were urged to pursue certain goals, like, again, that that concept of pursuit. Was yes. that present? Yeah. It's like you have to study hard and go to school. And it's interesting because when you're a kid, you just think like, oh, this is what the best thing is for me. And this is what will qualify me as being a good daughter, a good person, a good civilian, whatever. And then as I got older, 
I started to realize more like, oh, I was being groomed for somebody else's definition of what was good. Mm. And I was being groomed for actually something else than what I thought I was. That's very interesting. Um, And do you feel that that is something you took on? Yeah, absolutely. Does it still live out today? I'm sure it does, but I guess that's what my my journey has been about. I think that's kind of everybody's, or should be everybody's journey, is kind of removing all those things that you accepted at face value because you weren't old enough or discerning enough to question them at the time. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when you're an adult, then you have the opportunity to question them for the first time and then figure out what you look like and what you want to do and how you want to unfold. And so I think that my entire adult life has sort of been a perpetual series of doing that thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when something just buzzes in your awareness, it's always been there, but it wasn't personal. Yeah. Because it's part of your culture. Yeah. It's part of society. I mean... In my family growing up, there was no mention of pursuing anything. What do you mean? We did not talk about what you need to focus on or what goals to set. There was no mention. I had two artists for parents, and they pretty much were so blessed in their lives. They were very fortunate in many regards, although they were steeped like a cup of tea in hardships, Mm -hmm. but they found the arts as their refuge. Mm. And I think what they conveyed is that things happen by osmosis. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that does not work. And conversely, in the culture that I grew up in, in my neighborhood, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood of boys in my age group, just boys. So those were my friends. And they were all imprinted like strictly with setting goals. Everything was about goals. So I think that I thought for a very long time, oh, this must just have to do with males. Mm. And they rebelled against their parents because of it. Their parents were always grooming them to grow up, to be men. Like they weren't really taught to be boys. Everything was in preparation to be men. And I remember thinking, what am I supposed to set goals for? Hmm. Are you making a comment about them being prepared for men? They were prepared for life. Mm -hmm. But I think the way they were scripted, I wondered why they rebelled. Because to me, it was an advantage, not a disadvantage. But I think what they were rebelling about is in each of their family cultures— Success looked like something very specific. Mm. So they were, of course, driven hard like most males in this culture towards the sciences or something that would lead to prosperity, financial, material prosperity, something that would take the family forward. Because even though they were from different national cultural backgrounds, they were not from different backgrounds in terms of the goal. Mm. And so it made me start thinking today, like, wait a minute, the goals that are set to pursue life, are they really for everyone? Well, I think everybody needs to pursue life, but I think that the goals we've set are based on this ideal that 
doesn't belong to everybody. Mm. You know, it's not a one size fits all. It's not prescription based. Right. Well, I think about all the cultures that I've grown up around Mm -hmm. and how like in their family system, the pursuit of life was uh, so often for the benefit of the family, but not in material terms. Like, will everyone be happy? Will everyone be provided for? As literally, if one person has resources, they get spread to everybody else. Yeah. So that the family moves forward rather than the focus be on your individual progress. That's so interesting because that makes me think of Dr. Joy DeGruy and her book, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and how she talks about how each culture has a different highest value. Yes. And she says in America with white Americans, the highest value lies in the object. You know, it's always about how much do you make? What do you do? And with African-American cultures in the U.S. or abroad, it's all always about the relationship. So it's about acknowledging each other, and that's the highest value. Exactly. And with Native American culture, it's like in the most great spirit, or in Japanese culture or Asian cultures, it's in the group. So if one person feels like they're not contributing to the group, they eliminate themselves from the group. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really incredible because she was talking about the huge market crash in the 80s and how there was that the crazy amount of suicides that were happening in Japan. Um, these businessmen were literally just jumping out of buildings because they felt like they had failed their group you know, their whatever organization it was that they were working for, or even kamikaze, the whole concept of the kamikaze. Mm, Or even in the academic systems that have not been designed around all people and the relationship that each person brings, not just the prosperity they potentially bring. Mm -hmm. I know in the sub-Saharan nations, the school systems are still the British system by and large, and they're evaluated in England, literally the the A-levels and the O-level testing uh, once you finish your grade school to prepare you for your higher education. Um, They are going to be tested in England. And because of that, and the local currency being significantly, I mean, there's no way to compete with the pound, everything that got devalued monetarily. Mm. And so what happens is when kids, for some reason, they still do the testing there. And so if a child fails, their parents will not come up with the money for them to be retested. And so they have a very high level of suicide amongst those kids because they feel they did dishonor to the family. That's crazy. It's tragic. You know, I need to do more research so that I can see the current state of it, because I know it's been in various states of um, moving away from that. So testing could be localized and remove that enormous all or nothing impending threat Hmm. of ultimate failure, when in fact, it's just an exam. Yeah. But again, it sort of does encourage us to think about life and the definition of life. And as we pursue it, is it a competition? 
Is it about elevating ourselves against others or against the backdrop of others not succeeding? And if our standard would be relationship-oriented, mm-hmm. wouldn't even the definition of the pursuit of life be so different? And, you know, funny talking about the British academic or educational testing systems, it makes me think about in the Cambridge definition of pursuit, I was just checking it out. Everything was about running, hunting. It was a very aggressive definition, Mm. pursuit, going after. And rather than I was sort of daydreaming, what would it be like if it were just preparing yeah, but isn't it interesting how it's so cultural? Mm. Like it really depends on what your cultural background is and where you come from. And different cultures have different orientations to what it looks like to get there and almost like who you have to step on top of to get there. Mm. It's like Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> But what's so crazy is, at least in the Hunger Games, they had a fabricated goal. Yeah. I mean, the goal meant something to a fabricated man-made society where it wasn't equality for all. It was equality for none except the elite few. Are you saying that's where we are today? Kind of. (laughs) Yes. We're becoming more of the have and have-nots and very little of the middle class. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like even in this country alone, Jeff Bezos, I think, has more wealth than the entire nation. And so Mm. it's kind of turning into the thing where the wealthy are getting so wealthy that even for things like schools and necessities in our country, we have to rely heavily on philanthropy to be able to Mm. operate as opposed to being able to rely on our government or our system. But Mm. the government is, I mean, and I'm not trying to get political here, but they've set it up in a way where it is becoming the haves and the have-nots. Like the divide is getting greater and greater between the wealthy and the poor. Hmm. I wonder if that's because also this concept of pursuit and competition is like you were reflecting on earlier, it's a material pursuit. But life, perhaps if we knew what life was, we would be better equipped to pursue it. And perhaps then the prosperity, instead of it being defined by a very marginally focused Mm -hmm. goal, would be something where, by definition, you would be factoring others in. Like, for example, today, you know how it is finally part of our business culture, that the proceeds of everything, especially if it's a consumer-based business, that we are now familiar with a percentage being utilized to better a portion of the population that's underserved. Mm. Or for a specific goal or a specific awareness, to raise awareness, to raise the financial status, to raise the educational opportunity and betterment of peoples. Well, that's We're just at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. But perhaps it's because we're starting to ask the question that 
if we're pursuing life as individuals, why aren't we prospering? And therefore, don't you hear this so often, Smishy? People ask me all the time in conversation, neighbors, people I don't know well, like, oh, what is life about? What is this crazy life coming to? It's always about this overarching theme of what is life if, and then they fill in the blank. Hmm. What do you think life is about? And how do we discover that when it's not something that, I mean, it feels like a lot of us aren't really prepared for it from an objective point of view. It seems very much subjective based on where you're born, what circumstances, who you're born to, what culture you're born in, what era. So how do you figure that out? And how did you figure that out? Like, how do you know what it's about? Because your parents didn't even give you any any kind of preparation. No, bless their hearts. They are such wonderful and magical people, but no. <laughs> I mean, for me, I have to say honestly that my greatest education was my near-death experiences. So it's entirely backwards. Mm-hmm. But I guess out of those near-death experiences, the richness and the tapestry that I was shown about civilizations and their rise and fall and why is what imprinted me. Mm. And I think that's where I got my understanding of the purpose of life is to contribute to the best of our individual unique gifts, Mm. abilities. (laughs) That's so beautiful, (laughs) Sushi. No, Sushi, I mean, you know, growing up, a lot of people thought I was trying to be, quote unquote, good. Mm. And I think they'd get quite angry with me. You know, like if, if I'm on a study team at school, they're like, don't keep pushing the envelope. You know, let's just slow down and have a good time. Mm. And I was like, but aren't we here to make things better? I'm not trying to be good. I'm trying to be human. Mm -hmm. We're so disconnected from that. I mean, compared to your description, I feel like mine is so clunky. Why? Because it's like a series, a perpetual series of me falling down and getting back up or running into a wall and like, you know, the little stars above my head, like tweet, tweet. And then it's like, oh, (laughs) maybe this thing I keep doing is not working. Maybe I need to go deeper. Or it's like literally just hitting different levels of rock bottom to figure out like, oh, doing the same thing in a hundred different ways isn't going to yield different results. Maybe I should try something different altogether. (laughs) I love that you just said that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You know, the reason why I'm thanking you so much is because what you're sharing is literally what every human being is charged with. That's the preparation for life. You just said it. Because you, from your background, fell down and hit the wall. But me, from my background, I fell down and hit the wall repeatedly. Well, you just died. <laughs> well, And then came back. <laughs> but I kept trying to go, oh, is this helpful to the planet? Oh, no, this is not helping. People are mad at me. Okay, forget that. Wait, is this helpful to the planet? Oh, no, they don't want to talk about that. People think that that is disturbing. Oh, I'm not allowed to talk about death. 
I'm not allowed to talk about our purpose. I'm not allowed to talk about all the things I learned because there is no sequence of steps beforehand. Mm. But what's interesting is that I feel like one of the places where I went wrong, not that I went wrong, but something that I had to adjust was that initially I, that was my question. It's like, how am I going to serve the world? How am I going to do this for the world? And I felt like I wasn't factoring myself into that. And so Mm. once I actually switched that and then I was like, okay, forget the world. What's going to make me happy? What am I, where am I going to be my best? Mm. Then it was like the little magic shift. And it was so hard to make that shift from like looking outward because I did, I feel like I am service oriented. I'm always kind of looking out and figuring out like, where are the holes? Where can I help? What can I do? But I was doing that to a fault where I would almost volunteer for things that I didn't really want to do, but I felt like would be good. But then when I just focused on me Mm. and I was like, okay, this is where I'm my happiest. Then I realized, oh, that's actually the greatest service I can provide because if I'm happy and I'm bringing that energy and that excitement and that love to that, whatever that place is, then I'm more effective and more useful, even though it doesn't feel that way because it almost feels selfish because of how good I feel. But isn't that you're providing these steps? This is sequence. This is about process. So you grew up with these beautiful values and this incredible know-how and drive against the backdrop of how the world had operated, you know, up until the day you were born, which is why your family was counseling you, do this, trust no one, you know, work your hardest, get your grades, go for these degrees, and so on. But then as you performed to your best, you hit the wall because you hadn't factored yourself in. Yes. So you're just saying factor yourself in must be part of the equation. Yes. And also it's crazy because now that I'm thinking about it, there was this friend that I had and I was really into cars in high school. I used to race cars. and uh, <laughs> So good. I had a Toyota Supra before Fast and Furious existed twin turbo. And love that. <laughs> but I had this friend and I was so excited to have him as a friend because he was equally as into cars and he had a Volkswagen Corrado. And I just kind of looked up to him and he would always say, he was like, I'm going to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30, I think, or something. And we were like 16, 17, you know, and back then a million dollars mm. was a lot, still is a lot. But I remember just adopting that. And it's so crazy because I held on to that. (laughs) I still think about it as a measure. So I remember hitting 30 and not having made a million dollars yet and feeling like I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. But it was never my measure anyway. But those are the things unconsciously we not only take on, but remain imprinted with and guides this concept of what we're pursuing. Right, like what life is. Mm -hmm. What life is. And I'm sure you've heard a boatload of wisdom that you never asked for Mm -hmm. from people. 
I've heard people give me advice my whole life. I think there's something about being small and quiet and female where people feel a need to school me. Yeah. And tell me the way life really is. Now, I've yet to hear it once. Mm -hmm. Anything that resonates with what I learned in my near-death experiences, it's always about either about something that I need to know so I won't be disappointed Mm. or something I need to know so that I get ahead and don't worry about other people. Mm. And I've never factored that in because the one thing I do know, it's like process of elimination is so much easier than knowing what your bullseye is going to look like yet. And I know for sure that's not me. But I feel like this reminds me, Sushi, I told you about my friend who's um, a chiropractor from Sweden, Mm -hmm. and he always gives me the most extraordinary wisdoms. He's generous with me. And as a practitioner, he's actually multi-gifted. He's got so many tools on his belt as a healer. And um, he told me that he was starting to have to deal with his challenge of all the American male clients, patients that he had been recently drawing to him, and that he was growing incredibly impatient. And I was like, why? And he said, Julie, if I could just speak plainly, American men are bad hunters. (laughs) And I was like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And he was like, They complain about their wives, their girlfriends, constantly. They're like, oh, she expects this. Oh, she expects that. Well, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. I'm done with that. I'm so finished with this. And he said that he met their female counterparts, their wives. And he was like, Julie, they're bad hunters. He's like, where I come from, when you look for your mate, you go hunting You pursue the greatest prize that you could imagine as your counterpart accompanying you through life. Mm. And he said that what we know is that when you stand by her, that is only when she starts to unfold her gifts for you. Mm. So if you don't stay by her, you're never going to know what she had within her because all her magic is going to be aimed at you. Mm. And he said, I can't stand it. He's like, my male clients, all they do is go hunting again, find a sparkly, twinkly thing, put it down, get bored, go to the next one, go to the next one, come back to me and complain. And I have been thinking about it, not just in context of relationships and American males through his eyes, of course, but just through this pursuit of life. Mm. Maybe we just don't know that life It's meant to be understood only in the context of the inevitability of death. Mm. And possibly what we're really trying to do is prevent death for as long as possible by Mm. pursuing not life, but the distortions of life without death connected to it, where Mm. the value of what you have done is the measure of a life. Yeah, I really love what you said because the best way to live life is to think about your death. Yeah. 
And it's not about thinking about your death in a morbid way, but it's only just factoring in the fact that you are going to die. And if your entire goal is to accumulate a lot of money, is that really such a worthy goal if you're just going to die? Like, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? What purpose does that money serve? Yeah, and also, isn't that why people are continuously not happy? Mm. Because if it's the dollar amount, I mean, it's been proven, go back to the pyramids and before, that A, you can't take it with you. B, no matter how much you amass, there's always more to be had. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't worked for our species so far. No one has ever felt like they had enough. Mm. It's only when we spread it and we see what it can do, is that enough? And identifying life and death as a continuum is the only way to guarantee that you die without regrets. Mm. Then if you put yourself in the mix by asking yourself, what have I been endowed with? Like, what do I bring? It should be an obvious conclusion that what you bring is for yourself, but also for those around you. And so then the question is, whose lives do you want to improve? Mm -hmm. Even just by being yourself. But each one of these things is so loaded because it really has mm. to be so personal. Yes. Because I know, I mean, I've been talking to you about this a lot, but the whole concept of guilt and shame. I mean, mm. culturally speaking, my culture is rich in <laughs> knowing how to wield guilt and shame as huge weapons <laughs> of whatever. Motivation. But, yes. <laughs> Like, for example, for me, I do have a sense of what I want to do with wealth if I accumulate it or whenever I accumulate it. But then I don't feel free to be able mm. to do it in the way that I really want because I have all these, I feel like I have these other responsibilities that are not actually my responsibility, but that almost I was signed up for just by existing you mean according to the scripting and the belief systems of your family? Yes. Well, that's your starting point. You mm -hmm. have your starting point. I had my starting point. Everyone needs to be liberated from replicating what they've been imprinted with, mm -hmm. even our survival codes. We have to get past survival. And the only way we, as a people, will get beyond survival is to include everybody. And if there are injustices, write them, become accountable. You know, like let's go ahead and level out the playing field so that we can actually prosper because when people all get to release their potential, only then can we really see the creative power that we bring as a society otherwise the compare and despair is going to be the culture for a long, long time. And seeing that we uh, live the path in the great overarching theme of life, we have to establish it's just a path. Mm -hmm. Like life is bigger than us because life has been here before we were. <laughs> and life will be here after. <laughs> I love that that cracks you up. <laughs> I think it's funny to pursue something that's impossible to pursue. It's yeah. like, 
chase that comet. <laughs> right. But perhaps if we finally accept death, can we awaken courageously and creatively to what we can make life? Can I ask you a question, Smushi? Of course, Smushi. So what is the pursuit of your life? What do you want to do before you leave? What do you think is yours to do? Why? Smushi. Well, I might have more insight over cycles of time, but it always distills to, I want to share what I observed in my near-death experiences. And I want to share the reason why we need to identify what our gifts and therefore our purposes in life, because they go hand in hand. Because we don't have to deteriorate as a civilization, even though we're heading there. Mm. I think that is what I'd like to do, but with greater freedom so that it doesn't freak people out. Mm-hmm. I wish I could say, don't be scared. I'm just going to talk about death <laughs> <laughs> and us. And it might sound just a little different, but it should be even more familiar somewhere deep inside. Mm. That's what I'd love to do in a way that's familiar. Mm-hmm. It's my dream come true. Well, so far, it's a drawn a lot of interest for people wanting to talk about their talents. And that's a step in the right direction. I can't wait till they start to put it together with how those talents help them walk their path and that it has implications for the entire planet. What do you mean? Well, if every human being stepped into their actual design, and and all the choices. You know, it's not like pedantic. It's not go left, then go right, then park yourself here. It's with creativity and free will and millions of possibilities to unfold that you cannot calculate. Mm -hmm. But if everybody stepped into it and agreed that it was for the greater good that they do that, then they would prosper, their relationships would prosper, And also, each person has a piece of the necessary formula for the planet to move out of destruction patterns and move into patterns of prosperity. Is there any correlation between people that do that and money? Yes. Okay, but are the people in the world right now that are making tons of money If they're making tons of money, does that mean that they're in their purpose? Not necessarily at all. Okay. Because there's a great deal of injustice we've accumulated from history and all the wrongs that have not been righted. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have such gross extremes of wealth and poverty. Mm -hmm. If you're asking, could that be the means? It's possible, but then people would have to use their money. Rather than sit upon their money. (laughs) Sit upon it. Okay, wait, but this is where I struggle a little bit. I feel like if you were given a certain set of gifts or if you actually are a design, if we are each a divine design, we have a blueprint inside of us and we Mm -hmm. follow that blueprint, Mm -hmm. then I feel like you have to be supported by that thing on the planet, right? Like. 
Why would a creator create you with these inclinations and desires and these things laden inside you that you can uncover and then not allow you to live and eat off of it comfortably? Exactly. However, we still do have a lot of wrongs to right in terms of injustices. So, for example, sometimes people who have been born with incredible gifts, whose lives have been taken prematurely at the hands of another, that is a gross misuse of freedom Mm. and a travesty of that design. It's absolute blasphemy. Now, sometimes we also, at the same time, not everything happens on a straight line here, and we're talking about life. Sometimes an injustice is to awaken the masses to the injustice, to put an end to it. Mm -hmm. Like, do we need to lose one more Black life? Do we need to lose one more to understand that racism is an insidious, pernicious disease Mm -hmm. that destroys our human fabric, which deprives us of the gifts of the individuals. And it provokes and cultivates dangerous attitudes of entitlement, which will then perpetrate poverty in, in many regards. If we can't appreciate the value of a person's gifts, how in the world can we prosper from them? So every person has many variables in their formula. It is not destiny that someone dies young or unnecessary or at the hands of someone who unjustly takes it. That's not destiny. I know we're all connected, but sometimes I hate that we're all connected. You know, maybe (laughs) if we understood, if we really understood the power of connection, we would use it to awaken Mm. those who have been sleeping. Mm. We would value and hope. And that's where we have to trust that whatever it is you've been endowed with, you have to connect to your purpose in such a way as to see life and death as your home. Mm -hmm. They're both your home. They're both your refuge, but only when it happens at the right time. Yeah, you know, that's something really good to to take into consideration because I do feel like, even personally, I don't like to think about my death. I don't want to factor it in almost because I don't want to think about it. It's the ultimate version of the unknown in some ways. And I think that we're conditioned to be in such a rat race here that, mm. you know, I'm part of the rat race. And so Mm. I don't want to think about it ending, even though I know it's not, this isn't the end. I know that energetically I will continue to move on and I will maintain my essence in some form or another as I move on and probably continue to do what I try to do here, wherever I am next. But I think the unknown of that is you know, unknown. And so then trust that it's not time for you to focus on that. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Death happens um, (laughs) whether, (laughs) death happens effortlessly. It takes 
no talent to die, but only at the right time. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about it. What I'm saying is not to fear it. Yes. That's all I'm saying. And when we remove the fear and we understand its presence is a gift at yes. the right time, then we live differently. I love that. Remove the fear. Yes. It's very difficult. It is. That's why we talk all the time, Smishy. Yeah. Because the more you unpack it, the more you demystify the things that cultivate fear, toxic shame, guilt, and prevent you from pursuing your life, your purpose. Mm-mm-mm. Well, Smishy, a lot to think about. It's true. Thank you for introducing that concept today. Smishy. You know, I get very excited when I think about anyone who joins us on this podcast listening. Like, we think about people. We think about the people who come to this podcast. And I really hope that today's episode has helped to eliminate some fears around living and some fears about dying. Thanks for joining us. The end. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. 